Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Menashe. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from New Orleans, Louisiana. Welcome to the show, Galen Hare. Hey, how you doing, Victor? Great to have you here. Now, Galen, I'm fascinated by today's conversation. We're going to be talking all about insurance. That's a very important topic, often overlooked topic. Before we do, though, I'd love to get a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey. Yeah. So I don't know that it's a short story, but uh, if I had to kind of summarize it, I originally was a musician, opera specifically, came down for Hurricane Katrina, and that just completely changed my life. So ended up going to law school, getting a law degree, first tried my hand at defense work representing insurance companies. And that kind of confirmed what I thought, which is that I just absolutely had to help policyholders recover their insurance funds. Wow. Fascinating. Well, you're in one of the music capitals of the nation, New Orleans. And uh, so we could geek out and talk all about that. But since this is a real estate podcast, we'll stick to real estate. When we're talking about insurance, there's so many different forms of insurance policies. There are uh, broad form policies, there are name peril policies, there are GL. Uh, what are we talking about here? So usually when we're talking about what I do, we're talking about some kind of actual casualty policy. So usually it'll be a named peril policy, but it could be a broad form. It usually will not be a general liability policy. Maybe for the listeners, could you maybe break down the differences between those different types of policies and why you might choose one over the other? Of course. So the general liability policy is the policy that if you're investing in real estate, you have to have. You, you just absolutely must have it because you never know what your tenants or frankly, what anyone that comes onto the property could do, what could happen to them, and you need to protect yourself. And more importantly, hopefully you've engaged in a really good asset protection plan anyway, but you need to protect your other assets from becoming toxic as a result of a bad lawsuit. So you need that liability policy no matter what. What we're talking about are the types of policies that cover your property in the case of a natural disaster or even an intentional disaster, such as arson by a third party or intentional vandalism and burglary that kind of goes above a badly behaved tenant. Fascinating. Between a name peril policy and a broad form policy, what, what's the main difference between those two? Why would you pick one versus the other? So broad form is typically a little more popular. And for instance, in the home ownership arena, that's kind of the standard kind of HO2 or HO3 that you see. Some of you are dealing with this because you're buying properties that are currently insured. So you're inheriting that policy and then you're having to convert it to maybe an appropriate policy, a broad form, or even an umbrella. And the reason that's important to kind of look at those differences, a name, a name peril policy is exactly what it sounds like. It only covers named perils. It's becoming more and more popular for insurance companies to issue named peril only policies. And you have to read those so carefully to see exactly what's covered. In some ways, I actually prefer them over these broad form or these umbrella policies because the other thing we're seeing is more and more exclusions and endorsements in these broad form or umbrella policies. So you're essentially inheriting a named peril policy without realizing it. So I think it lulls you into a false sense of security. But regardless of which policy you have, it's important to make sure that the perils that typically would happen in your region for the for this investment are covered. Um, great example, right? Who would have thought that pipe freezes would be quite so common in Texas? And we all learned that the hard way in the winter of 2020 going into 2021. You know who did know that? Insurance companies. And there were a 
just absolute gross amount of exclusions for pipe bursts. Wow. Probably the number one claim out there is some form of water damage, where regardless where the water comes from, up above, down below, a pipe burst, what have you. And insurance companies know that very well because they got tons of data to, to support that. Now, the second you make a claim, you go from being friends to legal adversaries. And I'm sure you as a lawyer specializing in this particular space knows that perhaps more than most. Can you handle a claim on your own or is it important to start involving professionals right at the very beginning? I think it's crucial that you get someone involved right away. And the reason for that is really simple. The average listener of this podcast is probably an intelligent investor, probably a savvy business person. You come to the table with a certain amount of confidence and a certain amount of earned confidence. And unfortunately, that can actually be overstated easily, right? We, we think, okay, well, I'm good at business and my insurance company is supposed to treat me fairly. So all I need to do is collect the appropriate information and I will win this negotiation or I will win this battle. It's just not the way insurance is set up anymore. I think that very much was the case in the mid nineties, even, even before, but as we got kind of into the new millennium, as we reached the two thousands and especially now in 2021, you are not adequately equipped to take on your insurance company. That's not to say there won't be an outlier. You might get a result that you think is good, but I typically find when people tell me they got a good result and we actually look at the numbers, they were shorted significant funds. And, and what is that based on? Is it based on simply a cursory understanding of what's in the policy? Is it people drawing conclusions based on the term sheet or the policy sheet versus the policy itself? Where are the traps? Yeah. So insurance is this fascinating product, right? You, Before you invest in property, you do some due diligence to determine whether this property makes sense for you. You don't do that for insurance. A lot of people purchase insurance in the United States by simply picking the best price. And then of course, the fun fact about insurance, right, is they mail you a copy of the policy that you purchased after you purchase it. You don't see it ahead of time. Uh, so I think you start in this feeling of disadvantage. So you're you're more willing to take a compromise or you, you feel like compromise is the name of the game, but it's not. It's contractual liability. So there's a couple of things there. Your policies probably have supplemental and additional coverages that you don't even realize you have available to you. A trained professional will be able to spot those. But even then, it's really the valuation what it actually takes to reach indemnity, what you're actually entitled to, to repair all of the damage and repair it the right way. I'm always amazed at how many policyholders, whether they be private or commercial, take less money than they should and they cut corners and getting the work fixed. And that's also their detriment, especially if you intend to resell that property later, you're now lowering the value of your own property. I, I can't reconcile that position with good business. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. In fact, we had a project that we recently completed and uh, got our certificate of occupancy, got licensed by the state of Louisiana Department of Health on Labor Day weekend. And lo and behold, on Labor Day Monday, one of those buildings got hit by lightning and caught fire. And not only did it uh, damage that one building, it took out the nurse call systems and the fire alarms in two other neighboring buildings as well. So before we could even scope the repair, we had to replace the fire panels so that we knew what was burnt beyond that, if anything. So we got into a fairly complex two-stage process of claims adjusting where we had to first do a diagnostic component before we could actually implement the fix. And it turned out to be quite complex. 
And even though we ourselves thought we were fairly sophisticated, we underestimated the complexity in, in getting that claim resolved. Absolutely. And, and that's the catch, right? So what I would have done in that circumstance is I would have brought in the right experts to figure out exactly what it was going to cost. And, you know, especially in the state of Louisiana, where the laws are so favorable, would have actually attempted to get the carrier not only to pay for all of that, but to pay for those expenses that you incurred as a result of bringing in those experts, including myself. Fascinating. You mentioned the front end part of the process involving getting a very simple term sheet from the insurance company and only getting the policy after the fact. I know as a matter of personal practice, I always ask for the policy up front. I usually get a strange response from the broker who says, what do you mean you want the policy? Nobody asked for the policy. Well, yeah, we asked for the policy. Why is it that not the norm in the industry? You know, as far as historically, I can't really tell you. I So a lot of that probably goes back to Lloyd's of London. At one point in time, they were the primary insurance provider across the world. And the way that they make policies is crucial for kind of understanding why we do business the way we do, which is they would sell you a policy based off of who they knew might participate and who they knew might want to share on that risk. And then when they would go to them, they would bid it out and they would cobble together a policy based on the various provisions that the different underwriters wanted in their policies if they were going to participate. So for a long time, the way insurance was done is that customers showed up, they purchased something, and then it was Lloyd's job to go make it for them, right? Almost like a custom-made piece of furniture. That doesn't really make sense anymore because State Farm, Allstate, all of these different companies, they know what their policy is going to say. They know what they are going to put into it. But for some reason, we still do business that exact same way. And your experience is not odd. Every single client I have that comes to me in advance of purchasing insurance, I say, I want you to go back and get the policy. And I'm amazed at the pushback I get. It, it, it's astounding. It really, it it's like, it's like going to the store and they say, well, here's a brown paper bag. Uh, trust me, you'll like what's inside it. No, you get, you don't get to look inside. Exactly. And, and I don't understand why we're so comfortable doing business that way, but what you're doing is right. And you should continue to do that. You should always insist first, 100%, no matter what, that you end up first getting a copy of the policy. And if they tell you they can't do that, you really should talk to other brokers. When I finally do read the policy, sometimes it's 60, 80, 100, 150 pages with all of the various endorsements. I often find that there are parts of the policy that contradict each other, and it takes a lot of effort to figure out where there are those contradictory terms, which one will actually take precedence. Yeah, and unfortunately, that's kind of the way insurance is done and really kind of always has been. So typically, the general rule of thumb, but this can vary from state to state, is the later statement governs, right? So what you'll usually see is in the policy, it'll say all of this stuff is covered. And then there will be endorsements that say, we amend this language that said everything is covered to say, well, these things aren't covered or certain things are covered only to a certain amount, right? That's usually what we see. That's where the conflict in language comes in. And typically what a court is going to do in almost every state is they're going to say those endorsements because they come at the end of the policy modified the earlier language. So you almost are creating this big jigsaw puzzle and replacing pieces as you read it can get complicated. And I also think if you're investing in real estate, you really shouldn't be hesitant at all to go to a lawyer like me and ask them to look over your policy. I think you'd be amazed. A lot of them will. 
um, a lot of them won't even charge you for it. Now they do obviously want that kind of implicit promise that if something happens to your property, they'll be the first ones that get to help you. But for me, it's, it's a no brainer to sit down with an investor and go through their policies with them. Because now I know later, if they come to me with a disaster, I do not have a useless insurance policy that doesn't provide coverage that's needed. I'm thinking that that's something we would almost want to add to our due diligence checklist. And I'm saying that from the perspective of someone who is in a fiduciary role with our investors. We are, after all, investing our investors' money in these projects. And part of our job is to safeguard that. And if we haven't done the due diligence on the insurance, then in one sense, we haven't done our job. I can't agree more. And I I think whenever you're in a fiduciary relationship with people, insurance becomes a tough issue, right? Use use the pipe freeze as an example. I love to pick on it just because it was the largest single insurance event we've had in at least a century. Because I think what the entire state of Texas froze over as well as several other surrounding states. What if you had just invested in a large development there and just gotten them insurance and they called and said, of course, we obviously are covered get us our insurance info so we can make these claims because right now this entire investment is non-functional as a result of these freezes. And then you find at the very back of the policy that there's an exclusion for frozen pipes. Well, yeah, it's not a very common event, but it's not zero. No. And and look, if they make that decision, that's fine. Right? So I may look at an insurance policy for you and say, this is a fair price. It's decent coverage, but you're missing these important things. And you can tell your fiduciaries exactly that. We think this is the best route because we're saving significant funds. It would not make sense based on the risk. And then that's okay because your fiduciaries are engaging in that kind of risk or they know, or at least it was disclosed to them. I love it. Well, for many people, this is a topic that's as dry as toast, but for me, it's exciting. It's one that gets me energized. Galen, if folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way? Yeah, sure thing. So we have a website, Insurance Claim HQ. That's one claim. And then HQ like headquarters. And then we're on all of the social medias that people like to be on these days. So we're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I think we might have a TikTok, but candidly, you're not going to find me on our TikTok. Um, so <laughs> so anything else, feel free to reach out and uh, we'll get back to you personally. Fantastic. Well, Galen, love the perspective. And for the listeners at home, definitely connect with Galen at insuranceclaimhq.com. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow. 